Hello, welcome back to another week of the Base Training Podcast. Um, this week we're going to be talking about some basic, I suppose, faults or um, sticking points, limitations, whatever you want to call them, that people face when it comes to lifestyle nutrition. Um, we truly believe that lifestyle nutrition are ahead of exercise in terms of priorities, or should be. Um, ahead of exercise in terms of priority when it comes to trying to improve your health and physical performance. Um, but as always, we're going to quickly introduce who we are, where we come from. Uh, my name is Lee Carter. Uh, you can find me on info at base.training. No, that's wrong. Lee at base.training. You can, you can find out more about the company at info at base.training too. Um, and you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn. Facebook and Instagram at Lee Carter UK. Stefan, where can everyone find you? Who are you? <laughs> so I'm Stefan. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's at coach underscore Stefan underscore Winder. Find me on LinkedIn, Stefan Winder MSC. Find me on Facebook, Stefan Winder Strength and Movement Coach. And you can email me, Stefan at base.training. Awesome. And William, last but not least. Hey? Um, so on Instagram is coach underscore will underscore Strathdee, Facebook will Strathdee health and fitness coach, uh, LinkedIn will Strathdee, email will at base dot training. Easy days. And if you want more information about base training's company, you can head to the website www.base.training. We've got some blogs on there and you can even get in contact with us just by clicking on our picture on the, um, get to know us page or about us page i think it's called if you like the look of one of the specific coaches so there's there's a lot of different things that people tend to struggle with and we're going to go through some of the more common and general things and try and give you some action steps to take away from this podcast about how to potentially deal with them um, and it's important to remember that every person's going to deal with things in a very different way um, and we're going to keep it very general. We might, you might find it works. You might find it does not. Uh, but trying it will probably add to your life anyway. Um, and you might find you already do some of the things. So some things we've been spitballing and brainstorming uh, include things like overeating. So, what, Stefan, what do, what do we mean by that? What do you mean by overeating? Uh, so it's kind of a... A broad term that covers all manner of sins, I think. Um, but in general, overeating is when you eat to the point of being full or satisfied, but then you continue eating despite that feeling. So you're eating surplus amounts of nutrients that you don't actually require. Love it. <laughs> Common is uh, so definitely came from, but I'm happy with that one. <laughs> yeah, to the point. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's partly due to people just not understanding hunger cues and fullness cues. Um, and it, it, there's a bit of a cascade of events that can really happen from that, potentially eating too fast, um, like I said, not understanding when they're full. What are the common... What, what can cause overeating that you've found in the past, or from experience, from research? Um... The biggest one with my clients in particular tends to be eating with um, around their work and their family environments. Um, 
So a couple of my clients are so eating times tends to be uh, a very hectic time because they're trying to get the children fed and then they're trying to eat themselves within that as well. And because of that, they're, they're eating a lot quicker and obviously then tend to avoid their their hunger cues and fullness cues because they're more focused on getting kids to eat and then just eating as and when they can. Um, and the other one eating around their job is a lot of them kind of work in the city. Um, so they're trying to cram in food either on their commute to work because um, they haven't had time leaving the house um, or they've had meetings all day. So they've quickly nipped out the office, pop next door, grab something quick to eat. And they're eating that on the way back to their office. So it's trying to cram in food in very short windows of time which can obviously then lead into overeating because that their body hasn't had time to process it and the brain hasn't had time to signal the right hormones to say, oh, we've achieved our nutrient intake for the day. It's all processed at one time because um, it's eaten very quickly. So that tends to be the ones that I've had to deal with mostly in the past. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, so I'd say like emotional-based eating. Um, so like stress eating and like comfy eating is quite a big one for a lot of people um, and like boredom eating eating because they're bored they're bored now oh, I'm bored I'll have a snack and when you accumulate that over a period of days um, it can become too much and same with uh, like comfy eating um, let's say there's traumatic event in their life uh, they may eat uh, that help comfort themselves through that and they'll eat foods that are comforting to them and they usually aren't like healthy ones um, and then obviously their intake of um, calories and unwanted nutrients increases a lot yeah so it's just got to lead to like that what, which is one of the most common goals that we get to is increased body weight body size body fat levels um, to a standard of potentially unhealthy or um, visually unpleasing that's generally when it comes when people come to us first in our first uh, meeting point with them first contact is oh, i want to lose some weight uh, i want to look better they're the general broad terms that people tend to use and and for an athlete that's dealing with this sort of stuff it's decreased performance um, even just for the everyday human like can be decreased performance in work uh, if you go and smash a load of pasta like low, really quickly, you can get a massive drop in energy. Um, and potentially, if you're in a meeting and you're falling asleep, <laughs> you get the sleepies after after a big bowl of bolognese. <laughs> your performance is decreasing, or in the afternoon at work, your performance is decreasing. Um, and it, it just uh, overeating, I think, is quite a general term, isn't it? But it, it's led. It leads to. Or it's caused by, not sure which, which causes which, like emotionally in eating out of boredom. Um, like the speed of eating is related to how you feel, how full you feel, and when. So, what sort of things in the past have you given to people that struggle with um, just overeating in general, not necessarily emotionally in or boredom eating? Uh, so just trying to teach them about uh, satiety and uh, fullness cues uh, and listen to their body. So uh, something that uh, I often start with is setting a time a time cap for eating. So I want you to take 
for example, I want you to take 15 minutes to eat this food. I don't want you to complete it before that. I don't want you to take longer than that. I want it to take you X amount of time. Um, and when, when they do that, um, this allows them the opportunity to actually start to taste the food a bit more because they're focusing on, they're chewing with kind of instinctively without realizing because they're having to take their time. They're trying to draw out the process as long as possible. Uh, and from that as well, they'll start to feel how their body changes within that time period. Um, so that's one of the things that I normally kickstart people off with is setting a time a time frame for them to consume their food within. So carving out a time in their day to have their meals. I think that's a really, really useful one to start with. What about you, Lee? Um, yeah, I've used the, the time cap thing before. Pacing. Um, it's one I've been using recently for those that have got kids. Uh, my, my Siri just started. Um, for those that have got kids... Um, getting them to use their kids as a pacer because one of the things that kids do really really well is when they're full they they tell you i don't want any more mummy <laughs> stop stop trying to force feed me this food now um, or they'll just get up and walk away from the table when they're done um, and i think through programming over the course of your life you hear things from your parents like oh, eat make sure you clear your plate you can't leave the table until you've eaten everything on the on, the, on your plate um, I think it's what is it over the past hundred years plate sizes have increased um, so I've used um, pacing with kids and plate sizes as a big thing um, getting them to get a smaller plate so they generally eat a little bit less and they'll feel full because and they'll, they'll they'll kind of stick to those um, tapes that are running through their head that they've got to clear the plate but because they've got a smaller plate they can't fit as much on it so they won't eat as much um, I suppose it's, it's little workarounds like that whilst working on those um, psychological things. But you will. Um, so I call it the hungry dog. Like we all know that person that's like hunched over their plate and they're just shoveling it in rapidly, like <laughs> because they're so hungry, like without even like taking time to breathe while they eat. Um, so like people that eat like eat too fast, I get them to like, sit up nice and tall and put a mouthful of food and put the knife and fork down while they chew the food like i found it really helpful with like, slowing them down it increases the time it takes them to eat their meal so it's like a similar point to both you and Stefan. is like extending the time they're taking to eat it slows them down it allows them to realize when they're actually full and they think oh, actually i'm full a lot sooner than i thought because i actually had time to properly digest and taste the food um so that's a big one for me it's just sitting sitting in what we call like a, a good posture uh, rather than hunching over and putting the knife and fork down in between uh, mouthfuls. Yeah. Uh, another one that I've just thought that I actually use, talking about tasting food, is um, getting people to wine taste their food. <laughs> so obviously when you're wine tasting, you have very small amounts of wine, kind of swill it round, you smell it, you, you taste it, and then sometimes, like, obviously you spit it back out, but we don't want, <laughs> we don't want them spitting all over their table. <laughs> 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 All over the kids. Um, <laughs> but it's a, a very similar process. So I want them to take a small portion of that food, like load up a fork, I want them to smell the food, and then put it in their mouth, take their time, and actually really try and taste what flavours they can they can feel on their taste buds. And by doing that and kind of writing down notes, to, in the initial phase anyway, to get them into the habit of doing it, of what they can actually taste, that process and that time they take 
to think about what they've just eaten and actually write down those flavors and smells that they got from the food gives them time to break down and process that food a little bit further so that actually increases their satiety from that food over the course of the meal obviously i don't expect them to do that for months and months years and years but in the first couple of weeks especially writing it down on a bit of paper but then as time goes on and they actually get attuned to the tastes and flavors and sensations of food um, that habit sticks and that really tends to increase the time naturally increase the time of the meal and increase that satiety from the food as well which is really really useful yeah um the one of the, the i suppose general problems that we have these days is convenience isn't it like it's so easy to go out and buy a ready meal whack it in the microwave in three minutes and at the table eating it whereas which is great in some respects in that you don't have to gather your food and you don't have to go out and make the bread and so on but we've also lost a, a, a crucial part of the, the digestive process and that digestion starts before the food enters your body uh, it starts when you're smelling things it starts when you're um, make you're cooking your digestive enzymes are already bubbling and starting to digest food before it's even got to the plate um, and let alone into your mouth and we've, we've kind of lost that um, especially for uh, like lunch meals and um, well in every meal uh, we've lost it really because it's about speed and everything's about speed and expedience now um, we need things instantly if, if someone message texts you uh, or you text someone you want an instant reply whereas <laughs> 50 years ago you had to wait for a re- return in a letter a couple of weeks couple of weeks later uh, to get an answer to your question potentially um, so just taking some more time and preparing meals is is an easy way to go about eating less um, take like you said taking time smelling making notes while you go along about the flavors and the taste that you like and don't like and you get to a bit more in tune with your uh, food because ultimately at the end of the day we're trying to teach you how to do this for the rest of your life and so you don't need a coach and you don't need someone to tell you every week okay increase your calories by 100 now. 100 calories or decrease them by a thousand to get you to lose some weight cool um and going through that fad diet cycle which has long-term consequences we won't go into um one of the other things we've talked about is um emotional eating that stefan mentioned earlier what sort of things have you what sort of thing what does that encompass what do you mean by emotional eating uh, <clears throat> emotional eating is eating in response to an emotional stimulus, whether that's positive or negative. Um, like for me personally, I'm a I'm a positive emotional eater. Um, like <laughs> if I'm really happy, I tend to eat a lot more. Or if it's a celebration of some description, um, so all my endorphins are flowing, then that really triggers my 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 hunger for some reason. I don't know why, um, but. I, I am aware of that, so now I know that if I'm going to a party or an event, I know that that is a cue for me, so I will eat little and often rather than just kind of loading up my plate in one go and trying to stuff my face, which is how I used to eat a lot of the time. But it can be negative for some people. It's a, a way a way to cope with a particular stimulus or trauma. So stress, we know, is a massive one. I'm sure all of our clients have very similar situations, very, very busy, hectic lifestyles um like sadness as well uh, if people are sad 
Um, we've got that stereotype of people when they're sad, they've been for a breakup or something, they're chugging gallons of ice cream and chocolate and, and wine in front of the TV. And um, that's fine in, you know, for a short term. But if you extrapolate that over weeks and weeks, years and years, that tends to become a massive problem for a lot of people. So it's teaching people alternative ways uh, to cope with that stress or stress or rather uh, whether that's do it finding an alternative food to consume an alternative fluid to consume or replacing that with some form of activity in order to help you um, deal with that event consequences of it are they get a little bit I think they're a little bit more dangerous if, I, if we, that would, that's the right word um, but might, might be over exaggerating a little bit than just increasing some body weight and body fat. You're now starting to talk about people's mental health, aren't you? Like, because it can become addictive and then potentially um, fatal, like things like alcoholism. If you use, if you get sad and you go and drink a bottle of wine every night, um, or you're in a depression for whatever reason and you start drink, have it like starts off with a glass of wine at dinner, then it's two, then it's three, then it's the bottle a week, then it's a bottle every two days, a bottle a night, and it's an easy easy uh, thing to just slip into without even realizing it and by the time you realize you can't go a day without a glass of wine um, which is i think is probably more common than people think um like uh, i know a couple of functioning alcoholics <laughs> like, like they cannot go a day without a glass of wine and they'll put it down to oh it's, it's fine it's just one glass it's like yeah but you're doing it every, or um or I still use wine or a couple of cans of beer every single day for the past 10, 15 years. That's when it's potentially a problem. Um, but they're functioning. They're in high-powered jobs, high-stress jobs, and they're using it as a crutch. Um, so what sort of things have you put into place when it comes, comes to emotional eating like to help people with that? Just need alternative like, methods of... So like stress management. Um, so obviously that there there's going to be a point in that day where they've accumulated these kind of feelings and think, oh shit, it's time for the wine. Well, when when they get that accumulation of feelings, they need to write them down because they're using would be either like food or in that case like alcohol to suppress them, which over time is worse than just letting them out because um, everyone feels like that sense of like relief when you tell someone your problem or um, get rid of a problem. So for them, writing them down, getting them out of their system uh, may be uh, equal or more relieving than uh, chugging a tin of beer or a glass of wine. Uh, speaking to friends about the problems and the stresses that you're encountering and then trying to f- find steps to reduce the amount of stress that these steps take. Let's say you are in a high-powered job. You try delegating some more work out to other people, other parts of the team. Um, if you're a part of a family, you've got the kids, you're always looking after the children. Try sharing some of that workload with um, your partner. I'm just trying to decrease the impact of the stresses and finding a way to relieve you of some of the internal stress by getting it out somewhere writing it down telling someone it's, it's easy for us to slip into the the negative side of um 
emotional eating, but I think it's quite interesting to talk about the, the positive side or the positive emotional eating um, outcomes that, that Stefan mentioned. So what sort of things, have, what did you do to, to re- firstly recognise that you were actually doing that? Um, it was in my third year of uni. <laughs> I realised I put on quite a lot of weight within a very short space of time. Um, I, yes, I was physically active, and actually that body weight seemed to have a positive effect because I was playing rugby at quite a high level. Uh, I was also playing lacrosse internationally at the time, uh, and I played defence, so you need a fair bit of bulk. And because I was training regularly, I actually kind of mitigated the negative effects um, and ha- yielded the positive effect of having more mats. But for some people, that's not necessarily the case. If you're n- not regularly involved in exercise, that can become a problem. So the first thing I did was obviously establish the fact that it was a problem and that although it had positive effects for me, it wasn't a positive cycle to be in. Uh, So it was admitting that it was a problem um, and addressing that issue. Once I established the fact that it was a problem, it was then uh, writing a list of things that I could do to counterbalance that. So uh, was I going to chastise myself with more exercise? No, because I was already exercising a lot. So adding more stress to the system was probably going to result in illness or injury. So that wasn't an option. Um, Was I going to limit being social? No, I was at uni, I'm very young. Uh, I don't want to close off my social circles at that age. So what can I do? And the answer is to limit the actual food consumption. So uh, it was just creating a series of options that I could take. So have, so the other thing I can do is uh, eating less uh, at regular intervals. So rather than just loading up my plate a couple of times and having loads and loads of food and stuff in my face, which is how it started, is to actually be like, okay, I'm going to have a, a half a plate of a variety of different foods that are available. And then in an hour, I'm going to have half a plate of different foods. And then you're actually, by the time the evening's over, that's like two, three hours, I've actually only really kept to just over a plate which is way more acceptable than having like five or six plates of food in that short space of time. Um, so that's the way I dealt with it. I would just kind of look at the big picture and, uh, and you kind of work backwards from there. Like what is an option? What's best for you? So it might be a case that actually being less sociable and having less interaction with these um, situations is better for you. But I would say for most people, that's not. So what options can you afford to trade? Um, so it's a lot of self-reflection, I think, is is what's involved for both the positive and the negative. You have to look at the internal locus of control, be like, what is it that I want in the big picture and how do I get there? And then you kind of work out what's more affordable to you and what, sorry, what you can afford to do more of, what you and what you need to do less of to keep keep working towards that goal while still enjoying yourself. That was a bit of a ramble. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it made complete sense. Self-reflection is, is key, isn't it? Um, it's, impo- it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, like the mitigating effects that you had of playing or doing a lot of exercise and uh, potentially adding more exercise could be damaging. So you can, I think people can, there is a, uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for, is a, like, current theme of you have to kind of earn your right to eat through exercise so if you if you eat if you eat a muffin that's 500 calories 
you have to then go and burn 500 calories in the gym. And I think that can be potentially a damaging approach, well, it is a damaging approach, you know this, to, um, to your thoughts around food and the intention behind eating, intention behind exercise. Um, it, it is fuel at the end of the day. Um, Recognising that potentially exercise can be used as a... Uh, can be a punishment. People can use it to punish themselves uh, into a better body, which is probably isn't a really healthy relationship to have with exercise, <laughs> to be honest, or food. And that uh, just recognising it is key. Like what a common theme is, seems to be about journaling and noting down things so that you can actually recognise it in the moment. Go, oh, I didn't realise that I feel full when I've eaten half of what I normally do. <laughs> Because I'm usually too rushed or too stressed to even consider it, um, and t- so taking some time keeps coming back to time. Awesome. Another thing is hydration. People tend to, most people are dehydrated. I would say most of the people that I consult with generally tend to think that drinking fifteen cups of tea or coffee or both a day is getting them their their hydration requirements and it's not uh, especially if they've got caffeine in their diuretics um, and i once did have a client that and the, the knock-on effects of that specifically i once had a client that um, was drinking on average about 20 cups of coffee a day um, they're quite a stressful job but they're um they had an ill a really ill parent that they had to look after who was elderly um they were going through a divorce, like a stressful job, all that combination, and then now they're smashing 20 cups of coffee a day. And one of the things he first mentioned was that he he hadn't slept, I think he said, something like more than five hours a night for the past 10, 15 years. And that was how long this kind of stuff had been going on. Um, and <laughs> I uh, once we got started and we got into more detail, got to do a food diary and most that he was smashing the caffeine and I was like well it's no wonder that you're not sleeping um like long like five hours yeah we can probably attribute some of that to stress and so on but in most cases we can attribute that to caffeine so see what happens when we get really caffeine and um we did and I'll give you the fix for that in a bit but what have you what have you guys the problems have you seen when it comes to hydration and clients staying hydrated Yeah, it's similar, really. It's a um, like high, high-powered slash stressful jobs, um, and and time tends to be the the big explanation for the lack of consumption for a lot of people. Um, but for me, it's it's kind of one of the biggest factors I think that contribute is the out of sight, out of mind thing. Um, if you can't see. A bottle of water in front of you you're not going to remember to drink it all the time whereas if you're if you've got the staff kitchen in front of you all the time you see people drinking tea and coffee you're like oh yeah i'm going to go for one of those bad boys and there's a chance to be social as well so um something simple that has worked without fail every time for my clients is to just buy a water bottle and put it on your desk having that bottle of water there is such an incredibly powerful stimulus to remind people that they need to drink 
And what I get them to do is to kind of denote hours of the day on the bottle. So on the left-hand side, they do like 9, 10, 11, 12. And on the other side, 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, so like hours of the day. I want them to have drunk to that level of their bottle by that, that time in the day. So if it gets 10 o'clock, they check the clock in the office. Oh, it's 11 o'clock and I haven't had any in this hour. Even that, that 250 mils is massive. Um, and that's going to be a sustainable amount that they can continue to drink over the course of that four hours until the bottle's empty. And then they refill at lunchtime, go out, get some fresh air, and then they come back and then they repeat that process for the rest of the day. And I've, I've found that to have massive, massive benefits for a lot of people, both in clarity of thought when working, um, an opportunity to, to still be social, but just not have to have that caffeine fix um and yeah like it's yeah it just has massive massive benefits it's really really helps with my clients especially what about you guys your brain is what 75 percent water isn't it roughly yeah um bloods i think 80 percent water like so <laughs> so <laughs> you can't get by a, what is it you, you'll you can survive is it seven days or something without any water uh, I think it's three days. Something like, it's yeah, three seven without food, isn't it? Oh, I think a bit longer. Well, you know, people have gone long without food, um, and it's but it's much longer without food. So it just goes to show how important water is involved in every single function that your body goes through. Everything it's involved in. It touches on your immune system, your nervous system, your muscle system, your skeletal system, endocrine system. Your lymphatic, every system in your body is is has a touch point with water at some point. Um, so it's what you said about improved clarity in thinking. It's one of the performance aspects of just staying hydrated. What have you? What problems have you seen, Will? <laughs> the biggest problem I faced is someone being too smart. <laughs> um, and so they are a, I think they're a microbiologist, and their understanding of uh, water and biology of water when it's stationary puts them off drinking it <laughs> yeah i know so a bottle of water they won't do they won't have a bottle of water sitting on their desk because they sip throughout the day they'll only go get it out the tap put it in a cup drink that cup go through the cup back up again um which for them sitting at the desk comes quite tough and keep having to go up because the cup's not very big right they're going to drink through it pretty quick so they keep having to go and fill up their cup of water and they said by the time they drink their cup of water and they decide to go fill it back up in the kitchen there's someone in there making a cup of tea so they have a cup of tea um so it took a long time what's the point if they have one cup of tea they have to have at least two cups of water before they allow their next cup of tea um it it pains me they won't just get a bottle of water on their desk <laughs> um but like, we tried it and they in their mind it puts what they know about it really puts them off um, and they feel uncomfortable drinking stagnant water which is fair enough if they know what they're talking about which i trust they might do um so it's trying to work around people's problems not necessarily fixing the problem Sometimes you can't fix it, 
trying to work work around it. So it's like a trade off. If you want a cup of tea, you have to have at least two cups of water. Um, and we got them up to having a significant amount of cups of water whilst at work instead of just cups of tea. Um, so it's like small baby steps. Take away one cup of tea, add in one cup of water. Now we've taken away one cup of tea and add two cups of water. Hopefully, in the future, we can get another bottle of water. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I like to talk about that a little bit more. Um, yes, yeah, over overthinking, isn't it? Knowledge sometimes is can be quite crippling. Um, like I know that when I when I exercise and it gets really really tough, I know what's happening. I know the cause of why it's getting tough, and I, I start overthinking it a bit, and that kind of increases anxiety. In quote marks, not right, probably not the right word. Um, of trying to go a bit harder because you know the consequences of what happens when you go a bit harder and so on. Whereas if you're just a bit ignorant to it, um, especially when it comes to exercise and someone goes, okay, go max effort on the assault bike for a minute. Okay, cool. <laughs> what gonna, what's going to happen? It's going to be fine. All right. And you go into it with no fear and you put max effort in and uh, you get the response you needed. But now you know what the response is. You have a bit of, uh, well, potentially there's a bit of a fear behind it and that can put you off and you start overthinking and so on. One of the problems I've come up with is is the fact that you need to urinate more. And people have said to me, it's like, I can't drink any more because I can't, I don't want to get up and keep going to the toilet. And um, that's actually been a tough one to work around. Like my only... Uh, Workaround with that has obviously been okay. Let's get you used to drinking enough and balancing that with electrolytes and things like that, so that you don't have to keep urinating. Um, so you actually retain some of that water and you eat enough carbs and things like that to store it. Um, is is explaining the benefits and the, the benefits of increase or drinking enough water and staying hydrated versus the the cons, the pros versus essentially a pros and cons list, and always the pros list wins out. Um, but that's the that's the big probably one of the biggest, uh, yeah. The what's the what limiting factors that I've come up against and the resistance to it. You guys, I can understand that? that because a lot of people live in sorry, work in like. Um, Imagine like fast-paced offices and things, and where they're constantly taking breaks to go to the toilet. Uh, like the people, like team managers and things, might become concerned they're not getting their work done, and they may end up getting like told off yeah. for leaving their desk too much. They might end up um, like negative impacts in their work life mm. just because they're taking such frequent breaks. Um, like interrupting the workflow and things, so I can see why like that's a concern for people. Um, but I think then that comes down to the education of the person above them. Yeah, and uh, they need to read that pros list. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one because like, would they say the same to a smoker? He keeps popping out for a for a fag break. Mm. I mean, how can you be judgmental of someone that keeps going frequently to the toilet? Versus somebody keeps popping up for a fag break and taking years of their life. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a tough one, isn't it? Like, I've had a conversation with people before about the the need to go and exercise. Like a lot of a lot of gym, a lot of uh, companies now will let people go and exercise during the day um, mm. because for whatever reason. And the, the pot, even if it's just like the 
the positive effects of perform on, on performance that um, exercise has is well documented. Like if you got up, like one of the tasks I've given to people during the lockdown is just doing um, like mini workouts, 30 second workouts throughout the day um, to increase your mental clarity, your focus, get blood pumping, all that sort of stuff, adrenaline going and things. Um, it improves, it's well documented, it improves output. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that people, when it comes to things like um, just staying healthy and hydrated, that people could potentially get chastised and reprimanded for it. Um, so it becomes, if, they, if someone stays hydrated and, and probably looking after themselves on a grander, on a grander level, they're going to take less sick days. Um, they're going to have increased output in short periods of time there's only positives towards it there's in the short term yes you might be going to the toilet a little bit more but in the longer term there is only positives like you're going to increase performance you're going to increase output you'll probably get promoting promotion out of it because <laughs> all these things are improving um like i said it's the trade-offs isn't it um we've gone through quite a few there i think it might be worth leaving it there so we've given you some um some common limiting factors that people come up with, especially when it comes to lifestyle and nutrition. Uh, we've gone from overeating, um, I suppose on a broad spectrum, emotional eating, hydration, um, a little bit about mindfulness as well. Um, I know I'm a big one for boredom eating. Um, yeah, and the, the fix is for them. So if you, if you like that, give us a good review on whatever platform you're listening on. Um, if you want Apple Podcasts, head over there, give us a review, leave us five stars, that'd be great. Um, or share it with your friends, uh, tell your friends about it. Try them, see if it helps. Right, spend a bit more time chewing your food and see what happens. Note down what happens and then do that for a week. And if you improve your body composition right, or over a course of a month, you might as well stick with it and see what happens. Uh, loads more positive effects of just simply chewing more, digesting all that sort of stuff. Anyway, until next time, see you later. Peace.